Discovery this morning. I just want to start um, by asking us a few questions. Um, Over the past week, day, month, have you experienced conflict? Have you experienced tension within a relationship over differing viewpoints, differing differing preferences or desires um, within that relationship? Take a second, think about that. Right for me, that was yesterday morning with my wife at Farmer's Market when she, you know, kind of reached the boiling point of it's been two weeks, you haven't fixed the heater, our faucet makes this noise. We have a two-month-old and a two-year-old that wake up from naps, so I can't do dishes since our water makes that noise, right? Have you guys experienced... Uh, uh, an emotion, a sense of of hopelessness, uh, of anxiety in the last week, in the last month, in the last day. We see it across our nation right now um, with the the senseless act uh, of just evil and violence um, that happened in in Florida on Valentine's Day on a campus kind of like this uh, where, where people's lives were taken. And we've seen how our nation has responded. Will this ever stop? Is there anything we can do about these things? Will it be my kid's school next? Will it be my school next? Will it be me next? See, I think that these questions are something that we can all engage with and and relate to because this is is a part of what it means to be human. This is a part of what it means to to live life uh, on earth. And so my question for us this morning is, does Philippians, does chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and the rest of the book hold uh, an answer, some wisdom? Does it speak to uh, conflict and tension in relationship? Does it speak to uh, anxiety and hopelessness? is it, do, do these things have to be so all-consuming as they so often are? Can, can they be less consuming, or, or can they actually happen less? Can we experience these things less? And I'm not going to spend a whole ton of time uh, drawing out the, the, the tension that we feel in these, because I think that, that this is a tension we live with day in and day out. And so we're just going to go ahead and we're just going to jump uh, right in, and I'm going to read Uh, the verses for us that we'll be looking at this morning. Um, If you don't have a Bible, if you need a Bible, um, there will be people uh, coming around. I, um, raise your hand and they'll bring you one. Um, If you don't own a Bible, we want to give this to you. Uh, This this, uh, book, as we call it, this this library of, of history and laws and poems and wisdom and songs and stories and letters, um, I really believe that if we open this and, and, and dig into it and understand what, what they're saying about what life was at the time that these were written, they still hold so much power and so much wisdom and so much truth that can speak to us in our circumstances today. I'm just going to pray for us. Father, uh, would you, um, I just humbly submit this time to you, God. God, would you remind us that that we belong to you, that Jesus, you are Lord. 
hear, um, would we hear your voice? Would we hear, uh, would we hear your voice freshly this morning, and would we respond to that? Amen. So the verses we'll be looking at, chapter four, verses uh, one through seven. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Before we begin to, to really look at this passage, um, we've been journeying through the book of Philippians, and, and what we know is that this is a letter written by a man to a, a church, to, to people in a room, maybe not as many as this, maybe more than this, we don't know, um, people like you and I. And um, I think it's important to understand why, why we point out it's a letter. Because when you receive a letter, as we talked about earlier in the series, you don't just read a piece of it one week and then come back in a week and read another piece of it, but you read it all at once. And, and the reason you do that is because the person who wrote that letter to you, this is probably not your first experience with them. So it's not the only thing you know about them, right? So you gain context to this letter that was written to you from the message, from the actions that you've watched this person live out among you, from other letters that that person has written, and you get information that informs the rest of the letter from different parts of that letter, right? And so what do we know about Paul, his relationship with the Philippians, and what the Philippians are going through? I think it sets the scene for where we're going this morning, so I'm just going to run through it real fast. Paul was on a missionary journey. We don't know how long in between, but he, he was in Philippi, the city of Philippi, and he met this woman named Lydia. She became a follower of Jesus. He baptized her. He ended up baptizing her home. And this new movement, this new Jesus community was formed in this city. And then Paul was imprisoned while he was there. And he, when he was released from prison, they said, please leave our city. And so he left respectfully. And um, this relationship was formed. We don't know how long he lived amongst them. Um, but we do know that he wrote other letters to and from them after uh, so this letter isn't the fullness of Paul's message to these people. Um, at this time, when Paul's writing this letter, we also know from uh, verses 12 and 14, 16, Paul is once again in prison somewhere else uh, for the sake of the gospel. And he's writing to a church that's living in Philippi, and, and they're experiencing, as it says um, in verse 30, in chapter one, they're experiencing the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So when he was in Philippi, he was in prison. Now he's in prison. And so this is a community of people who are suffering and being persecuted, and the possibility of 
being beaten and jailed and maybe even killed is their reality. I think the verses that we're looking at today are informed by the rest of what we've heard. And so I just want to kind of summarize just really briefly. I can't do it justice. We have six other weeks of amazing messages that you can go back and listen to. But what happens, and I'm just going to put this in kind of my, my language, my understanding of, of modern day, of what Paul's saying to this group of people in the letter so that we can uh, have a sense of, of how we've come to where we've come in this passage. He opens up and he says, I lived among you. I saw your actions and your love, and I'm so thankful for, for the way that you love people. And I, I love you, and you love me, and, and my prayer for you whenever I remember that is that, uh, is that your love would grow, that it would go, both grow deeper and more true to who Jesus is, but it would also grow wider so that more people would be able to experience it and know that love. He says, and, and just a quick update on me, yeah, I'm in prison still and again, and uh, it's a crazy thing, guys, because this message, this good news, it preaches anywhere. It preaches to the soldiers who are imprisoning me, and it preaches to the people that I am in jail with. That's a powerful little statement right there, uh, all by itself. And then he goes on and he says, I've had, this, I, I've had this information, I've been told somehow that there's disunity, that there's conflict, that there's tension amongst you. And he says, do you remember that Jesus is our Lord? And he says that, that, that when you confess that, what you're saying is that, that you've died to yourself. That the, the person who sits in this, in this community to your right and to your left in front of you and behind you is more important. What they want is more important. What their preferences and desires are are more important. That's what unity is. Jesus is our Lord. And then he says, that's pretty much what I was writing about. He quickly wraps up, so I'm going to send you Timothy. I'm going to send you back Epaphroditus. Watch them. They are, they're men of great love. They're men of unity. Uh, model their actions. And then he says, that's pretty much what I was writing you about. That's the end of chapter two. And he's like, but I'm just going to tell you a few things that you already know because I think it's good for you to hear again. And he says, uh, so for the first part of my life, I was striving. I was, I was living out this, this life of zeal. I was preaching sermons. I was traveling to synagogues. I was persecuting people who, uh, who I thought was wrong, who weren't in, who weren't right. He's like, I got, I got the degrees, and uh, I was living in the right neighborhood, and uh, I drove the right car, and I had the right friends. And what I, what I realized when, when I met Jesus, when I declared with my mouth, when I confessed that Jesus is Lord, is that none of that mattered, that that was all loss compared to what I gained, what I was given when I said, Jesus, you are Lord. See, in, in a moment, in an instant, he went from striving to try and find belonging and to try and find value and to try and find worth. And he, and all of a sudden, in a moment, what he saw was that everything he had done leading up to that did not get him that, that it did not fulfill those desires. And he was given all of that. 
in a moment, in an instant when he decided to follow Jesus. And he says, because of that, I am free to pursue the upward calling of God that God has put on my life. I am free to bring heaven to earth. I am a citizen of heaven. I am a child of God, and I have everything that I've been pursuing. I am loved, and I am valued, and I am worthy because of Jesus, because he is our Lord. And he says, therefore, and that's where we'll pick it up. Stand firm in the Lord. You see that word in, verse four, in chapter, or chapter 4, verse 1? Well, see, the first time he said that was back in uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 27. And that is where he kicks off his passage on unity. And so the second they hear that, they would say, okay, we heard these, these great truths. And he's connecting back to where that, that truth that informs our situation right now began. And then he jumps in and, and he's like, I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche. Like, let's just pause right there. This is a letter being read in public to the entirety of the church. What if I preached a message and I was like, hey, we should be unified. We should love each other. We should get along. There should be no tension. And oh, by the way, hey, Jan, you need to make up with my wife, Caitlin. That's the practical outcome this week. That would be shocking. Hey, Paul, yeah, you know that tension you had with Vlad? Yeah, you you guys got to kind of figure that out. Yeah. You need to agree in the Lord. Well, that word agree, it it showed up in in chapter 2, verse 2. It says, complete my joy in being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Oh, oh, that's what unity is. That's what agreeing in the Lord is. But what does that mean? He'll clarify it for us. It's pretty radical. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition, right? So like, Uh, don't step on people to get somewhere you think you want to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, conceit. Uh, Don't have excessive pride thinking that that you're right. Oh, yeah, that's humbling for me to hear. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's like a pretty radical statement right there. That that unity is so important. That resolving this conflict, that that he doesn't tell us which woman is right. It, It was apparently inconsequential. Worship music. Maybe it was more serious than that. It, probably they had committed, uh, you know, kind of some painful acts against each other because that's what kind of happens when you don't resolve conflict. But, but it probably didn't start from one person committing uh, an evil and, and painful and damaging and devaluing act against another. Right? right? They disagree about something. Like, how refreshing is that? Do you and I disagree about things all the time? In your marriage, in your discovery groups, in your in your classes, and he gives us a way forward. He says, uh, remember, Jesus is our Lord. 
and, and remember that he went to, to the cross. He just like follows that up. He humbled himself to death in verse 8. So, so I'm supposed to, to not step on you to get where I want to go out of selfish ambition, thinking that I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm supposed to instead say, oh, remember, Jesus is Lord, and I, I've chosen to, to let go of my life, to let go of everything I was striving for, and, and to count everyone in this room as more important and significant than myself. It's a pretty radical message. It's a pretty radical statement. He says, how far do you go, Paul? This person and I disagree about this. Well, I don't know. Jesus says, or Paul says, Jesus was obedient to the point of death. He thought about you more than himself to the point of death. That raises a lot of questions for me that I don't have a lot of answers to. But that's a radical statement. We'll continue on. At the bottom of your worship guide, I gave just a few quick thoughts on conflict resolution. I'm not a great conflict resolution person. In fact, I'm just great at creating conflict. I'm not very good at resolving it. But what I've learned in the conflict that I create, um, <laughs> that those are kind of six things. I'm just going to run through them real fast. I don't want to skip that. Um, own your part, guys. You don't know how to do that? Here, when you're in conflict with someone, think about the situation and ask yourself, what is it like to be on the other side of me? What are my attitudes and what are my actions and what is that like? Stop talking about people and start talking to them. The person you're talking, the people you're talking to about the person you have conflict with, they're not the ones that are the problem and they're not the ones that are going to solve the problem. So go directly to them. It'll save you a lot of time and a lot of pain. Believe the best about others. This one's so important. Don't assume, and I do this all the time, that, that because um, someone did something that offended you or hurt you or that they were malicious and intentional about it. Chances are they just didn't know that they did it or that they're coming off that way. Because, because so often I assume the worst about people and so then I go in and I'm like, you suck. And they feel that. And then that relationship is really, really harmed. But if I go in and I'm like, hey, did you know that when you sent that email, it felt like you were calling me out in a way that made me feel devalued? in front of everyone in a, something that was just between you and I? Like, I didn't realize that. What a different conversation you're in then. Explain, don't blame, and be specific, right? It's not helpful to give generalities like you're always negative. Explain what, what, what they're doing that, that comes across that way. So in staff meeting yesterday, this is how I perceived your actions, and this is how I understood it. In discovery group, in the car, wherever it was, give them examples and keep them current. Don't go back like 10 years. Just, just what happened in the last week that's raising this tension? Guys, guys, when you go to, and try and resolve this conflict, chances are that person's going to get defensive. But we, we carry the, the shame-breaking message of hope in the good news. Bring it with you. Like, pack it on, throw it on your back, like, do something. Tell them, like, 
This is, you, you belong here. You're valued here. You have gifts. We love you here. And we just want to work through this so that we can have a deeper relationship and so that things can get better. And finally, pray for them. Not about them, right? Like, that's so different. Like, when you pray for someone, that gives you empathy for them. It gives you understanding for them. And that, that, that little switch right there, instead of praying about someone, but praying for them, that'll take away a smirk of superiority that you may carry, conceit, excessive pride, thinking that you're right, that probably will solve that conflict. Okay? Simple, practical, seven easy steps, six easy steps, not perfect, not, but they'll, they'll help. Um, so we'll go on. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. <laughs> so this guy in prison tells these people to rejoice who might end up in prison. Like, that doesn't feel very, like, rejoice. Like, I don't want to rejoice in those circumstances. Uh, and, and in case you thought, well, my circumstances aren't that bad, so maybe I don't have to rejoice. This doesn't apply to me. He actually says always. So no matter what your circumstances are, you you're getting, you're getting lumped into that. Um, but what does it mean to rejoice? Very simply, if you uh, study what that, what that word looks like, it breaks down um, into uh, being aware of God's grace and uh, being glad for it. There are times in life where we see throughout these scriptures people are sad and people are depressed and people lament. And I have never suffered or been persecuted in the way that, that this church is being or that Paul was. And I, I, I don't claim to, to have that experience. Um, but in all circumstances, we can remember what we've been given. We can, can experience the grace of God and be glad for it. I'm going to come back and touch on this a little bit more in a, a minute, but I want to keep going in, the script, in this passage. In the next verse, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Kind of a weird translation, a weird word, reasonableness. Uh, in other uh, scriptures, it, or in other, uh, in other translations, it's translated uh, gentle spirit or gentleness. Um, in the message, which is one that I really like, it is translated uh, to work with people, showing them that you're on their side. Um, so, so a church that's being persecuted that might be thrown in jail, and he, Paul tells them, respond reasonably to everyone. Respond in a gentle spirit to everyone. Respond as if you are engaged with people in a way that tells them you're on their side with everyone. Like that. Everyone, guys. Like, that's not just people who look like you and sit in this room. And that's not just people who are in the same tax bracket or who have citizenship in the same country or who have the same sexual preferences as us. It's just everyone. It's what it says. The Lord is at hand. It's a, this transition this transition phrase, and I think it speaks both ways, but, but it says, do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Like, can you fathom a church being persecuted like they are? That, that Paul just writes to them, yeah, do, so guys, like, I know that that's probably anxiety causing, so just don't be anxious and uh, pray about it, because in that moment, peace is going to come. I'm like, Paul, that's not how my life works. How do these three or four verses make any sense? Think about that. Rejoice always. Respond with a gentle spirit. Don't be anxious. Agree in the Lord. Jeff preached a powerful message uh, on, on chapter 2, 1 through 11, about the lordship of Jesus. See, it's the key that unlocks this passage for me. See, when we confess that Jesus is Lord, just as it was for Paul, as we saw in chapter 3, when he realized everything he had been striving for, everything he had been doing that was motivated by a desire to belong or a desire for love or a desire for value and worth, right? Because, because it's our internal desires, the things that we believe we were created to want and to desire and to need that drive our actions, that drive the external things we do. Right? So, so the things that he was doing to try and gain uh, to gain belonging, to gain love, to gain worth, value. Like, all of those things counted as nothing because he realized he was never going to get them from them. It didn't matter how much money he had in the bank. It didn't matter how much power he had. It didn't matter how much of the Bible he knew or how many Sundays he showed up for. See, in the moment that that he said Jesus is Lord and he confessed him as Savior and began to follow him, his identity changed. He was now a child of God. He was now a follower of Jesus. He was now set on a path to become more and more like Christ for the rest of his life. He was going to work out his salvation. And in that moment, he was given everything he had ever wanted everything that he had, had been striving for, up until that point, he was given. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus, that when you begin to follow him, when you confess that he is Lord, everything that you are striving for, everything that you have been striving for is given to you. You are loved in a way that I can't even put words to. And when I do, it doesn't do it justice. You are valuable and worthy, and you, created, you were created in the image of God to be in relationship with him and to bring heaven, his kingdom, to earth now. 
And you no longer have to strive to get any, any of that value and worthy and, and love and because, because you've been given it. And now you get to go and pursue bringing kingdom, the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's the upward call. What, what's yours? Are you a doctor? Because gee whiz, I wish I was smart enough to be a doctor. You want to know why? Because you get to heal people. Every day you go to work and you heal people. You want to talk about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth? Yeah. Are you a landscaper? Yeah, that's amazing. Are you a farmer? Yeah, because remember God created us to work and to, and to, to work earth and to steward earth. Yeah, so you get, to, you get to work with earth. You get to work with God's creation. You get to, to be a part of God's creation that displays his power and his glory and his majesty. And you get to bring his kingdom to earth. Oh, that's so good. Guys, that's the good news. You have everything. You're loved. You're valuable. You're worthy. You belong. You're enough, smart enough, good looking enough. That's a place that no matter what the outcome, of whatever it is that you're doing that is, is leading you to feel hopeless, you can rejoice in because the outcome no longer matters to your value, to whether you're loved or not. See, the outcome is in God's hands because your calling now is, is to bring his kingdom to bring his love, to bring his joy, to bring his goodness to bear in the lives of the people around us. See, when someone treats you wrongly, it's no longer a, an assault on your worth. It's no longer an assault on your value. It's no longer a statement about your identity and how that person sees you. To you, so you can respond for people. You can respond with people. You can respond reasonably, gently, in love and grace and compassion. I used to be so anxious before I would preach these messages. until my understanding flipped. And I realized that, that I don't gain belonging in this body by what I say up here. I don't gain worth by my value as a preacher. I'm still human living in this world, and so this morning, you better believe I felt anxious. But, but through prayer, because the Lord is at hand, because he is near, I was able to go into his presence 
to remind myself of this truth. Telling him, God, I want you to speak this morning. Bringing all of my requests, anything, everything before him. Thanking him that, that my worth and that my value and that, that my ability to be loved has nothing to do with what I say this morning. That's no longer my identity. It's no, it, it, I still allow it to get wrapped up in it, but, but I'm no longer identified by any of that. I'm free from it. Guys, you want to know uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding? We say constantly, we live in an upside-down kingdom, right? And this is upside-down, that these people who were being persecuted could could remember that, that, that they have everything they need. They belong, they're loved, they're valuable, they're citizens of heaven, so in some way that I don't understand and I have so many questions about that, that whatever happens to them physically here, they're still safe eternally? And all of a sudden you, you have people watching these people get persecuted and, and they're peaceful, they're not anxious. And people are like, I just don't understand that. That's a peace that surpasses all understanding. So this week, I just want you to try an experiment. Find five minutes every day. Do a breath prayer with me. I'll do it. I'm going to choose to, to pray, Father, I belong to you. You can pray, Jesus, you are Lord, or Father, I belong to you, or something else that, that resonates with you. As you inhale, inhale the name of God. Father, I belong to you. Let that saturate your soul for five minutes. Let that saturate your identity at the end of the week, just ask yourself, pay attention during the week. Did you have more joy this week? Were you less anxious? Does this truth unlock something inside of you that begins to answer the tensions that we live with as humans? It doesn't me. I'm just inviting you to experience it with me. If you want to, when you experience a moment of hopelessness, a moment of anxiety, a conflict with someone, just remove yourself from it. Take five deep breaths, and whatever that phrase is, remind yourself of it. Father, I belong to you. See, This passage is so powerful for us this morning because I need a community where we can agree in the Lord, where we can, I can put you first and you can put me first. 
where my identity isn't tied up to what I do, but it's tied up to who I am in Jesus. And see, that's a community that's joyful, that responds with grace, that has a peace that, that the city can't understand. As I want to be that. I want to experience that. That's what the Jesus movement is about. I think that that, that will be attractive, that people will, will be just will be drawn to that. That's, that's the community that, that, that will change the world just like it did 2,000 years ago. Let me pray for us. Jesus, your Lord. Jesus, this week, would you allow the radical truth of who our identity is in you to begin to radically transform our lives? Father, We belong to you. Amen.